Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is the Let's Talk Tribe Leaky Prospect Chat, recorded on July 13th, 2017. I am your host, Matt Lyons. And joining me as always on this fine Thursday evening is Let's Go Try a Bleed Prospect writer, Brian Hemminger. Brian, what do we have today? Now that I pronounce your name right, nobody has to know about that last take that didn't work whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it, we have a lot in store today. Uh, a lot of the, several of the publications out there have been updating their mid-season prospect rankings. Uh, MLB Pipeline will be the last one. They should be happening within uh, the next week or so, but... We've had MLB Prospectus, we've had Keith Law came out with his today, Baseball America, and things are looking good for some of the elite Indians prospects, because they're not doing every prospect, they're just basically doing their top 50 or their top 100 overall. So, uh, got a lot to talk about with that, we've got obviously my Players of the Week, All-Star Game stuff, trades are starting to happen, so... um, that's where things really get interesting with prospects because good prospects become good trade chips. So we have a lot to talk about with this week's show. Yeah, even all that, it's it's a lot to talk about even with a lighter schedule because the AA and AAA had their all-star break along with the majors. So it's been a little bit lighter in the game department, but lots of stuff always happens in the middle of the season. Right along, you saw the trade deadline happening, fun mm-hmm. mid-season reports. So let's get right into those rankings. Uh, Keith Law did his today. Francisco Mejia all the way up to number six, uh, 18 yep. months ago, not even on the top 100. Now he's number not six. Not at all. Uh, baseball Prospectus, I believe he was number three overall. Yep. These these are just overall numbers. This is not top catcher, top for Indians. This is overall prospect. In all of baseball. And in yeah. both Prospectus and Keith Law's rankings, they said he could be number one. Like if his ca- if his catching is as good like as good as people are starting to say. Like they said, he has the hitting right now. As long as he is a good catcher, he would be number one. And I think so he has the arm can, too, right? It's all about the yeah. the framing and the other aspects. Like of all, all the little intangibles, kind of the stuff that I did that really cool interview with uh, Budzinski about at the beginning of the year. But if, if he really starts to put that all together and like the scouts see it, he would be number one, which is crazy. Let's all just take a minute to thank Jonathan Lucroy once again. Thank you. For so, using that veto. Seriously, stop booing that man. Give him a standing ovation. <laughs> Put a statue out in left field. I'm for serious. Him. <laughs> Could you imagine if, I mean, if, if the Indians traded Mejia, just imagine watching him in the Brewers system right now oh. while we have Lucroy below the Mendoza line. He has been brutal this year. I have him on a fantasy team. <laughs> oh, like I, you felt I, it especially, yeah. I even traded for him after the slow start, thinking I'd oh, get Brian. great value. <laughs> Brian, no. I know. <laughs> I had Yadier Molina, and I let him go to get LaCroix. <laughs> I, had Jane, I had McCann from Houston and Yadier Molina, and they were both significantly better. 
Well, if we ever do a Let's Go Tribe fantasy baseball podcast, maybe we won't ask you for catcher advice on it exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so any other things from those rankings that stood out to you? I think the only one um, Laws was a top four or a top one hundred, obviously. So me or well, Laws Laws was top fifty, and oh, Prospectus and Amer- Baseball America, I think, were top one hundred. That's right, and only I, um, Mackenzie was the only one to make it on either one, right? Uh, McKenzie skyrocketed on every one of the rankings. They Prospectus had him. Let me see. Uh, I think Prospectus had McKenzie in the forty range, kind of like what Law had, and uh, Baseball America had McKenzie inside the top thirty. And Baseball America also had uh, Bobby Bradley in like the ninety rank area, like ninety three. Oh, wait, he's kind of slipped a little bit and kind of been forgotten. Yeah. But he's been really good this year. So, oh yeah, I would be surprised I mean, if he, he didn't make it. I was shocked that Bobby Bradley did not make the Double A All Star team. I think part of it had to do with this slow start, and that. But I mean, he has turned it on. Um, I mean, his strikeout rate has plummeted. I mean, this was a guy that was striking out thirty percent of the time or more, and right now he's striking out about twenty percent of the time. So, I mean, that is a massive shift. And, and he still had 15 home runs before the All-Star break. So he's on pace to potentially set a career high in home runs while striking out, you know, 8 9% less. That's huge. Yeah, at his highest level. Um, yeah, and at Double A, the toughest transition in all of uh, minor league baseball. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about Mejia um, mm-hmm. in this general area. It's a good time to answer our first question from the comments. Daryl Schletz, he wants to know, what are the chances the Indians get rid of Gomes or Perez to make room for Mejia this year? I think we've sort of answered this before, but if you want to take it yeah. again, Brian. It's it's zero. <laughs> like, Gomes and Perez, as bad as they've been offensively, they're still probably two of the better defensive catchers in baseball. They both are calling good games, and the pitchers are very comfortable with them. They're not going anywhere. They're both locked up to decent contracts, relatively cheap. Um, so, no, there's no reason to get rid of them right now. Mejia might be able to push him for playing time next year, but, I mean, he still hasn't even played at, at AAA. So um, I would not be worrying about that whatsoever. Just let Mejia continue to, de- to develop. One thing that I've noticed with Mejia is, you know, he's not playing every day. They've, they're being very careful with him. Um, they're, I mean, if you want him to be a guy like a, a Salvador Perez that's catching 140 games plus or something ridiculous – you need to let him keep uh, developing. I mean, this is his third season in full season, third year in full season baseball. He's still just 21 years old, and he has not played a ton of games and spent a significant amount of time behind the plate yet. So, I mean, they need to let him keep developing, building up those muscles. He's not a big guy. I think he's, what, 5'10", 5'9". So, uh, patience patience he'll be there when he arrives he's going to be amazing but let him you know continue learning english better so that he can develop a better relationship with our pitchers um i mean he still has a lot of work to do but when he's here when he's ready the indians will call him up i promise yeah i mean at worst if there's if for some weird reason they did call him up at best you're trading one problem for another you have a really great offensive catcher maybe if he can hit really Mm -hmm. well but he also won't be very good on defense so then and you're probably ruining his development. Just yeah, and and the, he is. Yeah, he has the potential to be good defensively. I mean, he he has an arm that is going to rival it. Gomes and and Perez. Uh, pop times, everything looks really good. I mean, the guy whizzes 
insane pickoff throws to first base. He's nailed multiple guys there, but um, you know, just just let him keep working, working out all the little intangibles. I mean, he's got the offense down. He's got the, the arm down. Just let him keep working on the intangibles. And when he's ready, I mean, when he's ready, it's going to be great. But just give him a little more time to season. So let's talk about something you posted today uh, at the midseason, generally the midseason point, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you went through your, your biggest surprises and disappointments. Um, let's just go through, I guess, your overall biggest I think you did like two or three for each level. So let's do like two. Your biggest two surprises and your biggest two disappointments in all the system. Or whichever ones you think are most worth talking about at this point. I can guess one of them, maybe. <laughs> um, I'm guessing Pannon. That's one of the ones that would one. be up, yeah. Okay. Uh, Thomas Pannon. I mean, he wasn't on any of our prospect rankings. And not only did he begin the year with uh, dating back to last season and over 40 inning shutout inning streak he got promoted to double a and he made the double a all-star game despite not even playing the whole season in double a that's how good he's been so thomas pannone is definitely somebody that is gaining serious momentum um big disappointment has to be nelly rodriguez i mean i i posted this i i need to repeat this stat if you haven't read the article Nelly Rodriguez is batting 137 in Columbus right now. The, the next worst person in all of the International League is batting 204. <laughs> That's a little ridiculous. <laughs> that is so bad, and he's striking out 42% of the time. And then the problem is, what are you going to do with him unless you have him like behind yeah. Bobby Bradley in double A? Because yeah, Bradley's you can't right send there. Him down yeah. Because. <laughs> What they actually did was they released Chris Colabello, who was like kind of sharing a little bit of time with them at first base. And they're like, we're just going to play him every day and hope he hits his way out of this. <laughs> so it, we'll see if it works. But I mean, at this point, I mean, this has been just brutal. And and the transition to, dub, to from AAA to AA isn't that ridiculous. I've never seen somebody struggle this much uh, from moving one level. I mean, maybe he's just feeling the pressure as he gets closer to the big leagues, but... Uh, this has been just horrendous for uh, Nelly Rodriguez. I mean, he was he had a good season last year. I mean, he had like what 27, 26 home runs in Double A. He batted like in the the two fifty, two sixty range, and he cranked a, a ton of extra base hits. He was super productive in the middle of that lineup that won the Eastern League Championship. <laughs> so I have no idea what's going on with him right now. Um, I'm trying to think who else deserves to be talked about the absolute most for improved stock. Who who would you have for improved? Probably Eric Haas. Yeah. It was someone you're going to talk about later with your okay. player of the week. Yes, just because he came out of nowhere this year. Well, I mean, he was always a guy that had a lot of pop as a, a catcher, but um, he wasn't really gaining much momentum because he hadn't really hit for a decent average, and he hadn't. Uh, been able to, to get on base and he struck out a, a, a decent amount. So he was just, you know, that, that guy that as a catcher can hit a lot of home runs, which was nice. But this year he's been insane. He's been backing up Francisco Mejia and he's hit 17 home runs in the first half, despite I think having about a hundred less at bats than the average league leaders in home runs in the Eastern league. He's like sixth, in the Eastern League in home runs, he's first in slugging percentage. 
which is just bananas. This is he's a backup catcher. The, the backup <laughs> catcher for Francisco Mejia is leading the entire Eastern League in slugging percentage. Um, so, you know, major props to Eric Koss. I can't believe he wasn't. I mean, I can understand why they didn't give him an all-star appearance because two catchers from the same team, um, that's not fair. But um, Eric Koss has been seriously phenomenal. So, so I, I, think, could, I could see him being a, a backup catcher for the Indians someday behind Mejia. Oh, yeah, I love that Mejia-Haas, com- just the thought of that combination in the future. Both of them living up to even close to what they're doing now would be incredible. So I think one of the biggest disappointments to talk about would be Brady Aiken, but we've answered, I don't know anything new you can say about him. We've answered mm-hmm. so many questions about him. So how about Rob Kaminsky? Two years ago, they traded Brandon Moss for him. Uh, he had, it seemed like a really good trade at the time. They traded a pitching prospect for half a year of Moss, and then he just kept getting injured, and that curveball, we didn't get to see it a whole lot. So what's going on with him now? Okay. Last year, Rob Kaminsky was excellent. He actually had, let's see, his here are his numbers for last season. Um, made 25 starts, uh, a career high, 137 innings pitched, and he had an ERA of 3.28. That was one of the better ERAs in the whole Eastern League. And he spent the whole season, it was his first taste of double A. So I was really excited about him entering this season. But uh, he started the year in double A because they had, I think at the beginning of the year, they had Morimando, Merritt, Plutko, and Mike Clevenger all at AAA. So, you know, they didn't really have a, a space for him. So he started the year in AA, made one start, was put on the disabled list, and he's been there ever since. And in that one start, he gave up five runs in five innings and struck out one batter. So it's just been super frustrating because, I mean, the guy has so much talent, and he's still young for his level. He's only 22 years old. He's only one year older than... Um, Francisco Mejia and Bobby and Bobby Bradley, but uh, he just he can't stay healthy. Like last year, even though he had a good year, um, he spent a month on the disabled list. When the Indians traded for him, he spent the month a month on the disabled list uh, pretty quickly after trading for him. And then this year, he spent you know almost three months on the disabled list. So I mean, I can't force the guy to get healthy, but it's, it's just been really frustrating because, I mean, he has a ton of talent. Uh, I don't know. If, I mean, he's not like an elite pitching prospect, but he's a guy that has decent low 90s uh, velocity as a southpaw pitcher with a good curveball. So, I mean, it's just I really want him to get healthy. And, and you can't hate on a guy for poor performance. uh you know, it, it's more you. You just want him to. It's just tough. Stay healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's been very unlucky, and yeah. it's been different things. This time it was a forearm. Before it's been a back issue. I mean, it's just been all kinds of stuff. So, just and he's a good kid. I mean, I don't know if you guys have read his blog, but I mean, he has uh, a really good insight into the life of uh, you know, a pitcher and a minor leaguer. So. Just, I wish him the best, but it's just been super frustrating because, I mean, he's a guy that could be a top 10 Indians prospect, but just can't stay healthy right now. And Mason Shattuck in the comments, uh, he mentioned more Armando big-time improvement. That's another one you had listed in the post, which mm-hmm. that's almost a big-time improvement over the last month because <laughs> he's had such a huge string of games. Yeah, he has had a massive swing because more Armando started the season with like an ERA like over six after like the first month, it was really bad and something clicked for him. I mean, three shutouts and four starts and all of a sudden Moramando is 
like fourth in the entire international league in ERA. I mean, that that'll three shutouts and four starts will do that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it seems like something has happened. I mean, Ryan Merritt's pitching well in AAA right now too. I got, I will give him credit. He's ERA is like three point three something, so he's right behind more Amanda, and he's been much more consistent overall on the season. But the fact that Morimando has just suddenly become this dominant powerhouse out of nowhere, I mean, I'm loving it. I, I hope he can keep it up. Yeah, if he can, I imagine his future is somewhere on the... I think people forget he already pitched in the majors a couple times last year. He wasn't good, but <laughs> the Indians have tested him out. Maybe they will this year again. Mm-hmm. Um, so next, Brian, uh, let's talk about some all-star performances. The Indians, uh, AA and AAA teams, of course, were on the break, just like the Major League squad is, which is miserable because they're the two farm teams that usually get on TV, and we watch them on MLB.TV, yep. or MILB.TV, but but not now. It's just the baseball is wasteland for the most part. Uh, but Richie Schaefer, he was the AAA MVP. He had a great game, double in a home he, run, two runs batted in. He was Eric fantastic. Stemetz. Yep, Eric Stemetz was there. He had a bat, <laughs> didn't do a whole lot. But, <laughs> but yeah, do you want to talk about, talk about Richie Schaefer, that huge game he had, and just his season in general has been really good. Yeah, Schaefer's hit, I think, 17 home runs thus far this season with uh, AAA Columbus. I mean, he's not an Indians prospect. Like, we didn't draft him or anything, but we signed him in the spring as his fifth team. <laughs> uh, he had a whirlwind offseason after Tampa Bay decided to give up on him. And he made some adjustments to his launch angle. And, and yeah, he's striking out a lot. But, I mean, he has been extremely productive in the heart of the Columbus batting order. So it's, it's just tough. He doesn't really have a spot. He, he plays like the same positions as Yandy, Yandy Diaz, basically third base in the corner outfield. And it's going to be tough for him to, to find a place if the Indians wanted to, to call him up. So he would have to leapfrog a lot of people. I think so, people also forget that he's only 26. He's not like yeah, yeah. Martinez who came over when he's in his 30s. So that's mm-hmm. one reason he has some trade value. I yeah. think he's still young. He yeah. can be going into a, a peak. He's a former first round pick. So, yeah. I mean, it's I mean the guy clearly has talent. And he showcased it in the, the All-Star game. So, uh I mean, if another team wants to take a shot on him, if they have room for him, I'd, I'd happily move him because uh, he deserves to, an opportunity to play in the major leagues. I mean, he, he's got the power and he's got the ability to produce. So I'd, I'd be more than happy to see him get that shot. Um, the double-A All-Star team was also uh, out there. They had uh, All-Star game was out there. They had Indians sent uh, Mejia. Yu Chang Chang, Cameron Hill, and I believe Thomas Pannone, yep. who I mentioned earlier. Hill and Pannone pitched scoreless innings. They did great. And Chang had a RBI double, I believe, to score the first run for the Eastern League or for their division. And I don't think Mejia did anything. I think he went 0 for 3. But Mejia did go 1 for 2 in the Futures game which was like a couple days earlier. Oh, yeah, that was on Sunday. Yeah, I think McKenzie threw one pitch in that game. (laughs) McKenzie came in and gave up a pop fly, and he got one out, and they took him out. (laughs) Because I guess they just wanted to use everybody. I am okay with that. I don't care. And it was hilarious because I think McKenzie brought, like, the most fans because he's from the (laughs) area. Everybody came out to see Tristan, and my – stream lagged skipped and he was already out of the game oh, i'm like come on <laughs> hopefully that archive still works <laughs> so um as we always do that's probably where most people are going to be listening to this post or listening to this podcast um let's preview their players of the week on this little light week of games 
Um, we're talking about for the podcast, not many great pitching performances, maybe a couple hitting, maybe we'll include an all-star performance in there. <laughs> so Brian, I, who do you got this week? I'm, I'm seriously considering including Yu Ching Ching's all-star performance because he's been spectacular over the past uh, few days. Uh, right before the all-star break, he was batting about 400. He hit uh, a home run, uh, I think four doubles. So uh, Chang definitely deserves uh, a nomination. I think the only pitcher thus far I can round up has been Brock Hartson. He had a pretty good start, went like six innings, gave up one run. And it's been rough, though. Like, everybody that had two starts just got tattooed today. So uh, I really can't include any of the the double starter people. And then with Columbus and uh, Akron being on all-star break, there weren't a lot of pitching performances in general. So I'm going to have to be digging deep. I think – Indians 2017 10th round pick Jesse Berardi has been spectacular in Mahoning Valley over the past week. So he'll probably get a nomination. He's been batting over 400. I don't know if he's playing tonight or not, but that could affect uh, his performance. Uh, Gavin Collins, who was a 2016 pick, recently was promoted from Lake County to Lynchburg, a high A. He had a monster week, um, so I will definitely be including Gavin Collins in our list for uh, high A. And then Eric Haas, who we brought up earlier, um, just continues to hit, so I have to include Eric Haas in this week's uh, Player of the Week. So that's five. I'm going to have to do some digging to see if I can who the sixth will be, but we're off to a uh, very strong start with uh, and it's going to be probably lower level focus since they had full weeks. <laughs> See, that's that's all we're doing, Brian. We're just focusing on, on some new levels now. We're just, mm-hmm. <laughs> just spreading around the love this week. At least next week it'll be better, I think. Double A and Triple A started tonight. And yep. Although you said the All-Stars, the ones that were in the All-Star game are mostly sitting tonight. So one game off for all the high names and then it'll be back to normal. So uh, every Thursday we always ask you guys to send us questions. Anything you want to know on Twitter or Facebook. Email us at SBN, let's go tribe at gmail.com. We will grab them. Even questions that that are about prospects that you guys ask on Monday. I usually save them and we'll ask Brian today because Jason and I usually don't know all the stuff that Brian does. So <laughs> this is a much better podcast to ask it on if you want to know anything about any kind of prospect. So our first one, Matt McPhee on Facebook. He wants to know what package of prospects could be reasonably, reasonably put together without draining the system of our top guys and still land a valuable addition at the deadline. Brian, what do you think? Well, it depends on what kind of addition you're looking for. I mean, last year, the Indians added the best reliever in baseball in Andrew Miller, and he had two more years of team control. And that cost us basically our number one prospect, our number five prospect, and two good relief arms. And, I mean, we've already seen Clint Frazier debut. He looked great. But, you know, that that was a huge deal. So it depends on how long the the player will be around. I mean, if we're just doing a rental for the rest of the season, like the Royals did with Johnny Cueto, it might not be quite as devastating. But, I mean, if we want to get somebody like uh, a Chris Archer that people keep bringing up, it's going to cost like Tristan McKenzie or Francisco Mejia. You can't just package together our 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th prospects and expect that to be enough. Mm-hmm. Uh especially with him having a whole nother year of control. So if you want Chris Archer that bad, which I don't, I mean, I, I do think he'd help, but 
I want to see how uh, Danny Salazar looks coming out of the All-Star break before I'm even thinking about trading for another pitcher. And I want to see how Trevor Bauer is continuing to, to pitch. Like We have really good starting pitching. Our problem right now is performance. We have like no major weaknesses other than maybe offensive hitting on a catcher. We just need to get some of these guys to, to shape up a little bit. So... Yeah, that, that's really more of the issue than anything. And this is the big like, thing I like what you said about you can't just trade seven, eight, and nine prospects. Like the you can't just say we'll just throw in uh, Nelly Rodriguez, Rob Kaminsky, and Tyler Naquin. You need yeah. somebody big, like, and then like a couple like, insurance prospects. Like look what happened today. The right Cubs traded with the White Sox, and the Cubs sent Eloy Jimenez. To, they got Jose Quintana, which was a great deal. Quintana had a Beautiful, gorgeous contract that was super cheap. So I don't know. How many years does Quintana have left on his deal? Did you see? I think it's through hold on, 2020, I think. Okay. And it was cheap. Yeah. So, I mean, it was going to be, you know, a lofty to, to get him. But they had to send him Aloy Jimenez, who Keith Law ranked as the number five prospect in all of baseball, higher than Mejia. So, you know, if the Indians want to get, like, some big game changer like that, it's gonna cost Mejia or McKenzie. So yeah, you, all of you out there clamoring for you know a big game changer and and but they don't want to trade Mejia or McKenzie, you're you're just you're crazy. I mean, last year the Indians had uh you know the the, the gall to to go for it and but they had two really good outfield prospects. They could afford to trade one of them. I mean, we still have a really talented outfield right now. Lonnie's tearing it up, although he's injured. Brantley's back, and we got Bradley Zimmer in center field. It's It's been fine. But, you know, now, like the people that we're going to be looking to trade if we want to get a piece, we're going to be taking a major hit at whatever position in our system we decided to, to trade. I mean, if we trade Mejia, our catching in the system, you know, just goes right down the crapper. If we trade um, McKenzie, we lose any semblance of having a future ace for a while. So, you know, it's, I mean, there's going to be a cost. There's going to be a serious cost. Yeah. And you got to remember, we have, you know, Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, Bradley Zimmer, all these youngsters locked in. We have Carrasco, Kluber, and them locked in through like 2020 and stuff. So you don't want to just sell the farm just for one season when we have a, a contending window for like the next three or four years, I would think at least. Yeah. And they got that window by not selling the farm every couple of years yeah. to get one big prospect. And I would and, take it a step further and say that to get like the Quintana, the trade is a pretty big or a pretty perfect uh, comparison to say that the, the Cubs basically traded Francisco Mejia and Tristan McKenzie. Because that pitcher cease they traded, that's mm -hmm. he's pretty highly rated too. So if you want to cut pitcher like that, two more on top of that, yeah, so. you're going to give up those two, and then like the smaller prospects, the the Sean Armstrong, the Rob Kaminsky, somebody else thrown in. But you're going to need one or two big prospects. You can't just deal a couple lower end ones and hope the other team doesn't care. Because <laughs> I mean, you look at what the Indians have right now; they have no major weaknesses. Like the bullpen's good. The pitching has been. Frustrating at times, but the starting pitching is still extremely good. Every infield position is locked down. Outfield looks good. I don't know why everybody is just screaming for them to make a trade. I think 
if they could just buckle down and, you know, just regress positively with some of the people that are underperforming, I think they'll be just fine. But we'll see. I mean, the Indians found a couple opportunities last year. Last year, they needed bullpen help. They definitely did. This year, they don't. So we'll see. I mean, last year, they traded for Geyer, and I think that was a very good trade. I mean, he made major positive contributions. They found, like, something that they could that would positively affect the team. So if they can find something like that this year that isn't like extremely costly, like Geyer definitely was not costly. We just traded away uh, Nathan, Nathan Lukes. Lukes. Yeah, Nathan Lukes. I mean, he's a good young outfield prospect, but I mean, he was not even in our like top 50 at the time. Yeah, that was a masterful trade there. That was really good. Like I, I, I'm, I'm fine with one of those trades. I don't think we need to sell the farm for something crazy this year. There's just Absolutely. no reason. So semi-related, Mark Shevelton on Facebook, he wants to know where is Cleveland ranked in terms of prospect pool going into the deadline? What do you, what do you mean by that? Like in terms of um, what we can, pull, yeah, what like we can put together? Away. Yeah, well, I guess just in general, the prospect pool of what they can deal away, which again, it's Mejia and McKenzie. I don't think you're going to make any deal yeah. without one of them unless you're just getting yeah. somebody minor it, like Geyer. One of those would have to be involved. And it probably if you want something serious, it has to be Mejia because... He's the guy that I think people are, you know, really clamoring for now with mm-hmm. how much he is, like, people are seriously considering that he might be one of the best prospects in all of baseball. So, um, you know, Red Sox wanted Chris Sale. They had to give up Yoan Moncada, who was at the time the number one prospect in baseball. The Cubs wanted Quintana. They had to give up Eloy Jimenez, a top five prospect in baseball. So, I mean, Mejia would have to be the centerpiece of a, of a major trade. And I... Really hope they don't. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. You're not going to, I don't know, even not like a frontline starter. If you want to trade just Mejia for a pitcher, you're still not going to get a number one, I don't think. You need multiple top prospects to get him anyway. All right, Brian. Our next question here. Um, what is, uh, or at J, oh boy, Dubesek on Twitter. He wants to know, what is Naquin's future with the organization? Finished third in Rookie of the Year, and he's been totally under the radar in AAA. One article ripped Tribe, and he linked, oh boy, a very specific article on Call to the Pen, which is normally a great site. I like it. Um, I think I've been really supportive of other Cleveland writers, just other writers in general. If you've got an opinion Mm -hmm. and you've got the balls to put it out there, I am all for that. Good for you. But this is really bad. (laughs) The basic gist of it is... That's um, a very bad article. It's really aggressively saying that the Indians are wasting Tyler Naquin. Let me just read the first uh, three paragraphs. Two of them are short, but so here goes. The title, what was it? Tyler Naquin being wasted by Cleveland Indians. 87 games and in their pursuit of redemption, the Cleveland Indians sit atop the very competitive American League Central with a 2.5 game lead. They possess the third best record in the AL despite manager Terry Francona and president of baseball operations Chris Antonetti failing to utilize Cleveland's 25 best players. In fact, one of the organization's most health and weapons has been buried in AAA. And without him, the Indians stand no chance of winning the pennant. No chance, Brian. In, mm-hmm. an, unju- in an unjust transaction, Tyler Naquin, who placed third in the AL Rookie of the Year voting last season, was optioned after a measly 17 at-bats. Holy cow. So I know Naquin isn't a prospect anymore, but I think this whole article is a good primer on how not to evaluate prospects, both coming up through the system and how they're performing in AAA. Because he also goes on to say that Naquin's doing so much better hitting with runners in scoring position in AAA. He's playing better defense in AAA. And my favorite line of maybe the whole the whole entire post, where is it? 
Um, Zimmer, dating back to the end of June, has been a shell of his former self. The University of San Francisco product has watched his 308 batting average from June 23rd dipped a whole 23 points in 16 days. Brian, that's a yeah. rookie batting 285 who is now a shell of his former self. Yeah. There's there's that's, a lot going on in this post. Yeah, well, I'll, I have no problem talking about Tyler Naquin. He was given a shot. I mean, he... We all know what Naquin's deficiencies are. He's not particularly good defensively as a center fielder. He doesn't cover a lot of ground. He doesn't make the best calls out there, as evidenced by, you know, flashback World Series. And I know, too soon. Um, He can't really hit fastballs particularly well, which is a huge problem at the major league level when everybody's throwing, like, 95-plus and every bullpen is throwing that, and he doesn't hit high pitches very well. So heading into this offseason, that had to be something that he needed to address drastically if he wanted to, because pitchers adjusted to him. That's why he you know, fell off a, a cliff, basically, the last two months of the season. And he just wasn't making those adjustments. I mean, he, 17 at-bats was all it took. He was still doing the exact same things. He he wasn't hitting for power anymore. He was still swinging and missing at all the, the high pitches. He couldn't hit fastballs, so they sent him down. Yeah. And then he got hurt. <laughs> so to make matters worse, then he hurt his back and he was out for over a month. So the Indians were not wasting him. While he was injured, they had to call up Bradley Zimmer because, you know, Naquin just wasn't healthy at the time. They even they gave Yandi another chance too briefly uh, because Naquin, again, couldn't be called up. That's why Daniel Robertson got called up, because Naquin couldn't stay healthy. And yeah, Naquin's been called up, but he, I mean, he's only very recently been taken off the disabled list. And yeah, he's hitting better, but I mean, he's not even playing every day at this point. Like, they're, they're you know, giving him, uh, you know, baby gloves. Yeah. They're being very careful with him. So, you know, the, the Indians are not wasting him. He, he did not adjust. They sent him down to work on it and adjust, and then he got hurt. So, you know, what can you do? Yeah. He's he's a good player. He has a good attitude. I like him. But even right now, with Lonnie Chisholm on the disabled list, we don't need him. We've got Abel Monte and Tyler Naquin can uh, – or Abel Monte and uh, Brandon Geyer can just platoon right field for now while and have Zimmer play center every day and have Brantley play left every day. Yeah, that's a fine outfield. As far as prospects are concerned, I mean, you look at – Tyler Naquin coming up to the minors, just the idea of comparing him to Zimmer is just absurd, first of all. Because yeah, especially with the plays right. that Zimmer's making in the outfield right now. Yeah, and if, Naquin didn't make one play like that all of last season. No. And Zimmer's one of the fastest people, period, in baseball right now. But just even coming up through the, the ranks, like Tyler Naquin has several seasons of minor league data saying he needs to be platooned. He's really bad against left handed hitters or left handed pitchers. Um, I mean, and there's there's a track record of it. That's why Terry Francona did it. And with Bradley Zimmer, there wasn't quite that track record. But Terry Francona likes the platoon players. But even he saw right away that Zimmer does not need to be platooned. Even if he doesn't hit well against lefties, he's one of the fastest players. He's great in the outfield. There's just so much more about Zimmer. He draws walks. He draws walks no matter what um, handedness he's facing. He's got the power. Um, and just the idea of, oh, oh, yeah, the fact that, so Zimmer coming up, I mean, he was a top prospect. The fact that he's really good is not that surprising. Um, even if he's not as good as Naquin was last year, it's also because Bradley Zimmer hasn't been as lucky. Tyler Naquin had a huge bat last season, 
If you remember, his all of his stats basically were just compiled in the first few months. The last, what was it, month and a half when pitchers figured him out, he was completely shut down. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, it's just the, the pedigree of Naquin coming up was not nearly what it is with Zimmer. Um, I don't I don't hate Naquin or anything, but he was a fourth no, I outfielder. Don't That's what he was coming yeah. up. He was a platoon fourth outfielder, and he happened to get – he'd stumble into starting center field time, and he did really well with it, and – I think the Indians front office and probably even Terry Francona see that he can't do that all day, every day. Now they have Zimmer. There's no, he's not going back to center field. If he comes up, he's not going to platoon with Zimmer. Even if Zimmer is a shell of his former self, <laughs> that is not a thing that's happening. Maybe in right field, but like you said, Amante and Guy are fine there. So I get the love affair with Naquin for Cleveland Indians fans. Um, he was really exciting last year. He had that one. I do wonder, amazing his, right? Yeah, I do wonder if he didn't have that whole inside the park home run, the the hook 'em horns. If Indians fans would have this love affair, I wonder how much is tied to that one play. Mm-hmm. Because I think without that, most Indians fans would see that he was really bad at the end. He struggled in the World Series. He missed that ball. There was a lot of down to Naquin's season, but it's all overshadowed by that one play. So, mm-hmm. I think analytically, if you're thinking Naquin over Zimmer, you're not thinking in analytically, you're thinking with your heart, and which is not always a good thing. It's especially not a good thing if you're writing an article on it. <laughs> That's definitely not what's so, good. Yeah, I mean, I, I I still think Naquin could have a future. I mean, Michael Brantley only has one more year of team control left. Like, Naquin could take over a corner outfield spot or at least a platoon in the corner outfield moving forward. But, I mean, unless he can adjust to left-handed pitching, high pitches in the zone, and major league fastballs, uh, it's going to be yeah. very difficult for him to find consistent playing time on the Indians. In the end of the the call of the pen article, it basically implores the Indians to either use him or trade him. And I mean, if you're trading Naquin, that's not trading a top prospect. You're trading what we were talking about, the 7th, 8th, and nine guys. You're yeah. trading a 4th platoon outfit. Every, every team has those stats. They know. Right. Like They're not going to be like, oh man, Chris Archer for Tyler Naquin, let's do it. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> and then one last note about that article, the last sentence, the last couple sentences. After all, the same situation with the Ben Gamble being dealt to Seattle. The change of scenery worked pretty well for him, didn't it? I hate to say it, but the Indians don't care about Tyler Naquin's personal success. <laughs> they are not going to trade him just because they think he'd succeed somewhere else. If another team thinks he could come out of nowhere and give the Indians more value, maybe they do it. But they're not going to look at Ben Gamble and say, well, he was good when he went to Seattle. We should trade Tyler Naquin so he can be successful. The Indians, if they're a good organization, they care about them winning. Yeah, they're not going to be like, oh, man. You know, we really missed it on that Brandon Phillips. Let's <laughs> let's give this guy away for nothing. <laughs> so we can watch another one succeed. We just like raising these prospects and watching them go. It makes us so proud to watch. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I'm glad somebody asked that question. I wasn't sure if we do it here or on the main podcast, but there's there's a lot about the, the valuation of prospects in that question, I think, and a lot of stuff that people kind of ignore when they look at prospects coming up. Every prospect's exciting. Like even Yandy Diaz, he he wasn't that high coming up, like highly valued over prospect. It was kind of towards the end where he, he showed that he could really draw walks and maybe he might have some power somewhere and good defense. But but again, that's not a Bradley Zimmer either. And I mean when you have a top prospect like Bradley Zimmer, he's going to probably be good when he comes up. But if you have someone like Tyler Naquin who surprises everybody but has very clear flaws, he's probably not destined to stay up there forever. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'm not ready to give up on Naquin oh, yeah, either. Yeah, I mean, he's still young, and he could make some adjustments. I mean, it's just 
that's what the data tells us so far. Yeah, but I so. think and it's in the Indians' best interest to hold them for right now. Because if you're trading yeah, them now, why, you're trading them after injuries, after not being good, after yeah. not adjusting. So. His value is very low at the moment. So yeah. I, I really think that he has the potential to turn it around. He just, I mean, it might take a whole other offseason for him to do that. Yeah. All right, Brian. That's our show. We answered quite a few questions today. We got some in the comments. That was fun. Um, anything else you want to talk about? We got some baseball coming back finally tomorrow. Real baseball. It's a West Coast mm-hmm. West Coast trip for the Indians, but a lot of minor league baseball coming up soon. So, yep. somebody did ask for a Anthony Santander update. Oh yeah, it's been a while since he had one of those. So, what are the Orioles doing with our man Anthony Santander? Well, it appears he finally started a throwing program. <laughs> really, so, itching him along there, Baltimore. Here's here's Baltimore's plan right now is to let. Uh, Anthony Santander rot on the 60-day disabled list. He did get transferred to that. And let him rot on the 60-day disabled list until the 40-man roster, ex- until the rosters expand in September. Then they'll call him up, use up some of his time then, and then probably try to begin the next season with him. And then they'll get to keep him. That's, that's, that's basically Baltimore's plan of action. I mean, I don't have enough, like, pull <laughs> to get like <laughs> other doctors to check out Anthony Santander to see if Baltimore's been lying about him all season. But I mean, it really does feel like they're abusing the the system right now to just to, to keep him, which is frustrating, but nothing you can do. Yeah. There's nothing we can do about it. And uh, they're, they're, they're game. They're doing everything by the book at least, yep. which is, I mean, I really wish we could have him back. I mean, it feels like he lost a complete season of his career. He is, hasn't even been able to play, but he's not going to be allowed to play while they're saying he's injured. So, Uh, All right, Brian. That's it for this week. Uh, We will talk to everybody next Thursday. Same time, same place. We'll ask you questions during the day. Feel free to send us some during the week, anytime, really. Just say you want them answered on the prospect chat, and we'll save them. Get a nice little Google document. So, So, Brian, talk to you next week. Talk to you then. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. 
when you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.